Father, we have a great high priest, Jesus Christ, who has passed into the heavens and intercedes on our behalf. One with him, we cannot die. We need that this morning. God, as we just sang the gospel, would you help us now as we perceive the gospel in your word? Would you help me as I proclaim the gospel? Would you help us to see the mystery of the gospel present in baptism? And more importantly, would you help us see what is behind that, which is our union with King Jesus? Would you give these brief moments we spend now in your word power through your spirit to change us? Would you help us see wonderful things from your word? And would you help us rejoice? And would you satisfy us with your steadfast love? We pray. Amen. If you have a Bible with this morning, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. This morning, we are going to look at the theme of baptism. It is going to be a little bit different than a normal Sunday would be because we have six baptisms and we're going to see the gospel on display six times. I thought it helpful for us if we meditate on what we're going to see and prepare our hearts to see it. Which means the main goal this morning out of Romans 6 is not exegeting and preaching only that text itself, but using Paul's words in Romans, using the scriptures to help us meditate on the reality of our union with Christ that is present in baptism. This morning we're going to be baptizing in obedience to Christ. In Matthew 28, he gave the disciples a command which we call the Great Commission. Many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with it. I want to read it for us this morning. Jesus told his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In baptism, we are obeying Christ In making disciples who make disciples, who follow after Jesus, we are by dipping someone in water in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, baptizing them in obedience to Christ. But what is that baptism? What does it mean? What's being portrayed when we do this action? That's what I want us to think about this morning. St. Augustine called baptism a visible word. In other words, because what we do in baptism portrays the pattern of the gospel, dying, being buried with Christ, being raised to walk in newness of life, because of that, the, the baptism act itself actually preaches and proclaims the gospel. And so this morning, we're going to meditate on that from Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. I'm going to read that text for us. And what I want us to see is two main things. We're going to talk about them more, so don't worry if you're having trouble remembering them, but the two main things I want us to see is that baptism, our participation 
in baptism is participation in something that's primarily done to us. And then what I want you to see is that the result of what is done to us in baptism calls us to do something in response. So there's something that's done to us and there's something that we do. And I want us to see that in Romans 6. So Romans 6, chapter, or chapter 6, verse 1. Paul writes this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Amen. This morning... The first thing I want us to see out of this text is that baptism is our participation in something done to us. Before I do that, though, I want to draw your attention to how I would talk about baptism from this text this morning. And that's that baptism is acting out our union with Jesus. Baptism is acting out our union with Jesus. And this is captured in this first observation from Paul here, that baptism is our participation in something done to us. We act out that union that is done to us. Notice, first of all, in Romans 6 here, all of the passive verbs. A passive verb, a verb is an action word, right? And a passive action word is something done to you. Notice in verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? That's not something they did. That's something that was done to them. All of us who have been baptized were baptized into his death. Notice verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism. In order that just as Christ was raised, we too might walk in this newness of life. These are things done to the person being baptized. These are things done to us by the Spirit. Notice verse 5, if we have been united with him, if we wanted to say that we were doing it, we would say, if we united ourselves to Christ, but that's not what Paul is emphasizing. He's saying, if we have been united to him by something acting upon us, by a passive verb, if we have been united with him, he says, 
then we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. What this means, first of all, is that baptism is not primarily something you do. I think this is really important for us to grasp because we, in a good Baptist culture, think of baptism often as something we choose to do. And there is volition. Everybody wanting to be baptized this morning is wanting to be baptized and asked to be baptized. And so there is volition, there is action that we do, but that's not the primary focus of baptism. The primary focus of what's happening in this tank in a little bit is what has been done to these people by the Spirit of God. The way Paul summarizes what has been done to us is union with Christ. Verse 5, right? If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. If you heard it as we went through, you might have noticed all of the times Paul uses the words with and in. These are words of union with Christ. What has been done to us is that we have been united with Christ by the Holy Spirit through faith. And that union with Christ means we share in things with him. That's what we're doing in baptism. When we're being buried with Christ in baptism, we're sharing in his death because of our union with him. This union then means that when you are baptized, you have a real participation with Christ Jesus. When Paul says in verse 6 that we have been crucified with him, verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. It's not that we ourselves were crucified, right? It's that we are sharing in Jesus' crucifixion through our union with him because we belong to him. Because we find our soul satisfaction in him, because we identify with him, his crucifixion becomes counted for us. And now, because of that, as Paul says, we're no longer slaves to sin. The union with Christ that we have, that is celebrated and portrayed in baptism, is a real union that has real effects. Because we are united with Christ by his spirit, we are really dead to sin. He says further that we have been buried with him. Verse 4, we were buried with him, therefore, by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We have this reality of sharing in Christ's burial and resurrection. Because we've been united with him, what we celebrate on Easter is something that is real to us. And has real impact on us. Because of our union with Christ. So friends, this means that in our participation, in the thing done to us, we are acting out our union with Christ. And it's the union with Christ that causes the real effects, not the acting it out. What this means is baptism itself cannot and does not save you. Baptism itself is not what's causing this death to sin. Baptism itself is not what's causing this newness of life. Baptism is acting out the union of Christ that causes our death to sin. The union with Christ that causes our newness of life. 
All of these things are given to us in Jesus, and we are given the opportunity through symbolic action, embodied symbolic action with our bodies, to act out this union. It's similar, I think Charlie mentioned it in Sunday school this morning too, it's similar to a wedding ring. Right? The wedding ring is not what makes you married to that person. My wedding ring is not what makes me married to Nicole. And it's a good thing because in the first year of our marriage, I lost my wedding ring. But it is a symbol that signifies the reality of something that's true about Nicole and me. Right? This is what baptism is. It's an outward sign of this inward reality. Marcus Peter Johnson puts it this way. He says, In the waters of baptism, God impresses upon our bodies the truth and reality of our incorporation into the death, burial, and resurrection of the living Christ. Baptism, in other words, is a visible and tangible experience of the exceedingly good news of the gospel, that we have been crucified in Christ's death and raised to new life in Christ's resurrection. Baptism is the sacrament or mystery of our new crucified and resurrected identity in Christ Jesus. Baptism is the gospel in water, allowing us to experience in our bodies the truth that we are immersed forever into Jesus Christ. What this means for you, church, as you see these six people enter the waters of baptism, behold the gospel. Behold the union with Christ that only comes through the Spirit. That only comes through God's initiation, making dead people alive. Behold the gospel in baptism. And remember your own baptism. Recall for yourself when you were immersed in the waters of baptism. Immersed into, forever into Jesus Christ. Remember that and rejoice Take heart, Christian, through trials and tribulations that you have been united with Christ Jesus and that nothing can separate you from his love. For those who are entering the waters of baptism, our baptismal candidates this morning, what this means for you, because you are united with Jesus, then his story becomes your story. You enter into it. You have been buried with Christ in baptism. You have been raised to walk in newness of life. And so every time we talk about Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus' death, Jesus' burial, Jesus' resurrection, Jesus' return, that story is part of your story now. So remember that as you enter those waters. This is participation in something done to us. But that is not all. I said we weren't going to preach the main point of this text. And the main point of this text is not baptism. Right? When Paul is talking here in Romans 6, he brings up baptism in verses 3 and 4 and doesn't return to it. He brings it up because it is shorthand for our union with Christ Jesus. And he brings up our union with Christ Jesus because of what baptism requires of us. This response that is required from us as a result of our baptism. Paul's goal is not to explain baptism, but to answer the question, how should we live? Notice he starts out in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He had just said that as sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. God's grace towards sinners in Christ Jesus was more powerful than sin. And he wants us to understand that this doesn't mean then 
that we ought to sin more so that Jesus' grace is shown even greater. And he says that we're not to do this in verse 2. How can we who died to sin still live in it? We're not to do this because of the reality that has taken place in our union with Christ Jesus. We have really died. Because of our union with Jesus, we have really died to sin. And therefore, we ought to really live differently. This is Paul's point as he gets to the active verbs. The things we do towards the end of this passage. In verse 11, he says, first of all, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. In other words, as a result of your baptism and everything contained therein, a result of your profession of faith in Jesus, your union with Jesus as a result of the Spirit, and your baptism acting out that union, therefore you must consider yourself truly dead to sin. You must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is something for us to realize. As a result of our baptism, we must think rightly about reality. The problem with us is that we think of reality only as what we can see and touch physically. And so God, to accommodate our mortal frame, Calvin talks about it this way in his Institutes, Says that, God, says that we've been given these symbols, these signs, to portray this reality because we're thick-headed. We don't really think clearly about our union with Christ, but when we see it portrayed, we can't help but think of it. And Paul says, when you see that, think rightly. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ Jesus. You are empowered by what God has done in uniting you to Jesus to no longer be enslaved to sin. This is the reality. You ought to think this way, Christian, about yourself. Not only that, not only ought we to think rightly or to realize and consider what is true, but we're also to respond in light of that reality. He says in verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. To make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. We ought to, if it's true that by faith you have been united with Christ Jesus, and if you've put your faith in Him, it is, and if it's true that your union with Christ Jesus means you share in His death, which you do. And if it's true that your union with Christ Jesus means you share in his resurrection life, which you do, then then live like it. That's what Paul is saying. Live like it. Your baptism is an opportunity to cement this into your soul so firmly that it echoes through your whole life. And observing others be baptized is a reminder for us of this reality that has taken place in every one of us that is trusted in Jesus. So live like it. Don't present yourselves to sin and flee from it instead and pursue righteousness. That's what Paul is saying. It's a summons to live according to the new life that we've been given. Baptism requires a response for us. And it's not a response that requires us to just try harder to make ourselves right with God or to to try to keep ourselves glued to Jesus because we're slipping away. No, it's a response to live out the reality of our union with Christ. 
Baptism is calling us to do that, to present ourselves as instruments for righteousness. Kevin Van Hooser puts it this way. He says, water baptism inserts the disciple in a very visible and tangible manner into the story of Jesus. Baptism marks the disciples setting out on Jesus' way by ritually enacting the death of the old self and the birth of the new. Baptism is the actor-disciple's port of entry into the action. Baptism by water is a public declaration that an individual agrees to be an active participant. This is the volitional nature of baptism. The the, uh, volition is just another way of saying this is something I do and I do it on purpose. This is the volitional nature of baptism that we are proclaiming when we enter the waters of baptism, we are going to be an active participant in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are claiming Christ's story as our own and therefore we're claiming his mission as our own. One of the ways we're going to embody this reality in the baptisms in just a moment is by having the congregation be an active participant in these baptisms. One of the questions that we ask, there's a lot of questions directed at the baptismal candidates, but there's also a question directed at Sojourner's Church. Sojourner's Church, will you help this person to live a life that is pleasing to God? That's what we're called to do with one another is help one another faithfully follow Jesus. It's part of the Great Commission, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. Christ is with us as we do it. He's with us in baptism, and he calls us to walk faithfully as we do it. So baptismal candidates, my charge to you as we move into the baptism phase of our service is as you come to the waters of baptism, be prepared to present yourselves to God as instruments for righteousness. Be prepared to engage in that mission. It will now be your responsibility to make disciples, to call people to follow Jesus, to encourage them to be baptized, and to teach them to obey Christ's command. But you're not alone in doing it. You do it in the context of the body of Christ, and that's a gift. Let me pray. Jesus, I pray and ask you to help us to behold the reality of union with you, which is the marvelous mystery of the gospel, to behold that in baptism, to, for, for us as a congregation, as we watch these six people be baptized, to behold that and rejoice with them and long to see them follow in the footsteps of Christ and to have our faith spurred on. And I pray for these six entering the waters of baptism, for Ella and for Ruby and for Malachi and Lindsay and for Don and Sharon. I ask, Lord, that you would help them by your spirit to apprehend their union with Christ, a marvelous mystery that is in many ways beyond our comprehension. And yet by your spirit, you make what is difficult to understand knowable, You make it so that we can have faith and trust in your promises. So I pray that you would help all of us now as we embody the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.